0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast episode 541. That was a big stammer at the start there. W- welcome in. If you knew, I've got a stutter, but um, it's fine. It's not a big deal. <laughs> you, 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 It probably won't come up a lot. I'm joined this week by Josh Weller. Now, this episode was meant to come out two weeks ago, but we shuffled some things around, which means I've been excited for you to hear and laugh at this for ages because this conversation just put a big smile on my face like for the rest of that week J- josh weller has been on before but in different guises so i first met josh as a musician in like the um, 2007 maybe and when josh came on the podcast last i think he was just wrapping up his punk band the kenneths and he just started he'd, he'd done his first ever stand-up gig now, all these years on, post-pandemic, he's a wonderfully successful stand-up. And I went to, to see his Edinburgh Fringe show this year, and it was so fucking good. We talk about all of that, though, so we'll get into that. We we also talk about the str- struggles of um, of making money in the creative arts. And this is where I'll mention SpeechDevelopmentRecords.com, which is my w- record label and web store where you can go and support by buying merch decking yourself out in some cool shit and then yeah you also support the podcast so that's kind of cool you can also donate at patreon.com forward slash pip so if you've been been listening for a while and you're like i get this every week for free and i enjoy it there's been at least one episode every week for over nine years for over nine years an episode a week completely free you know what I'd like to give that Pip a dollar or two to go to Pip, to go to to Buddy Peace, to go to Jared. you know, all all the people who work tirelessly behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm going to go to patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip and throw some some money at that hairy bastard. Uh, You can also head to twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pip. Yo, where... In fact, this ties into the, the, the label. I said I'd tell you about this last week. So... Many of you will know that on Black Friday, I closed the web store because Black Friday is a weird little retail holiday, isn't it? A lot of people say, oh, it's because you're just being tight and you you don't want to give discounts. At the start of the cost of living crisis, we discounted everything by, I think it's 27%, which was the average increase in bills. So we've had everything that we can afford to discount already discounted all that time. So it's not that... It's purely, I feel, that we often spend these times spending money on things that we don't need. So instead, the web store is closed. There will be a donation link to, to donate to Shelter, who I've fundraised for the last two uh, Black Fridays and who need it more than ever now with our government f- fucking talking shit about lifestyle choices. But um, tonight, or that night, sorry, on the, on the Friday, Friday night, Friday afternoon, evening, I've not decided a a definite time. I think it'll be 5pm. I'm going to be doing a charity bike ride on Twitch. So I've got my exercise bike. I'm going to be on that. I'm going to do a marathon, which is 42 kilometres. There'll be donation links. There'll be chat interaction. I'll be sweating like an idiot for however long it takes. All the money will be going to shelter. So come along and get involved in that yeah that's all i've got to tell you about that but that's going to be a laugh let's get on with the podcast right josh weller as i've said is one of my favorite people and just one of the funniest guys he's always been one of the funniest guys i know i get a bit emotional i think at the end and kind of give a bit of a i'm so happy that the rest of the world is now getting to see the josh that i've always known it's cringy as fuck but i meant it deep in my heart i meant it so this is the distraction pieces podcast episode 541 with josh weller It's easier, we can relax. Um, I mean, I'm here today with Josh Weller. How are you, Josh? I'm good, man. How are you? Nice to see you. I'm good. I've been really genuinely looking forward to this chat since we organised it, which was only a couple of days ago, so Mm. it's not like you've taken over on my whole week. But um, it feels like we've not caught up in ages, but because... I am such a fan of so much of the content that you create. And I know content and creation are bad words these days. They're kind of cringy. But I feel like I am i catch up with you all the time, but it's purely p- passively. I'm just in, <laughs> enjoying your creation, cre- creations, then getting on with my day.
1: Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? I, I s- I see friends all the time and I'm like, I don't need to see you. I know exactly what you've been doing. Yeah, it's
0: Podcasts.
1: Yeah, it's going on tour, you've got a podcast, you know, you're (laughs) unhappy inside (laughs) and you need attention, so.
0: (laughs) It's quite straightforward. Well, before we get into it, like, how are you? How's
1: your week been? Like, what's been going on? What's your world at the moment? I'm getting back into just doing clubs every night for yes. stand up. I did the Edinburgh Festival and now it's sort of back yes. to auditions for TVs and movies and things like that. And then um, and then doing, yeah, just just gigging every night. So I've done I mean, what day is it today? Friday. I think I've done seven shows already this week. So I'm pretty uh, yeah. ready for the
0: weekend. How do you find auditions and acting? Because you're someone that quite easily sees the ridiculousness in things and having acting (laughs) as my main thing. I know there's a lot of ridiculousness. So I genuinely wonder sometimes... If that makes it harder for you, cause cause you're getting cause you're having to go, Oh, this is all dumb. Cause you were in The Witcher, right? Is it yeah, The Witcher? Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I don't have any <laughs> acting I, I I briefly saw a really good acting coach, a guy called Lee Knight when I but that was only when I got The Witcher. So yeah. um I auditioned for it and I was doing a bunch of auditions. I actually was in a sitcom, but they uh when it went to series they wrote me out. Um right. so and after that I was sort of you know, you just keep, I kept plugging away and I and I got this role and it was a small role. I think I'm in three episodes of it or something like that. And um, firstly, I didn't watch The Witcher and then I got the part and was like, all right, I should
0: probably watch. Well, oh, that's one of the things with getting a role like that. The bonus is it's a huge series, it's established, it's a certain number of series in. The mm. negative is if your mates want to watch it, I've got like three series to catch up on first. So that's why I've not seen you in it, Josh. I, I, I think The Witcher is my kind of thing. I just didn't catch it at the time. But um, yeah, it's one yeah. of those weird things, isn't it? You've got an established audience there, but your mates might not go, okay, oh, so I've got how many episodes to catch up yeah, on? Yeah, exactly. Before yeah.
1: I get to, get to your three scenes? My mum was like, I turned it on and you're not in it. I was like, yeah, I'm not in the first episodes. <laughs> And then she was like, there's a lot of boobs in it. I was like, yes. I'm not the Witcher. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it's funny doing auditions. I kind of just, it's actually something that I, like I've, I really am enjoying, you know, I'm, I wouldn't call myself an actor, but I'm really enjoying acting in things as a comedian. Yeah. And I've just done another show, which I don't know if I can say what it is, but um, it's all good. But it was, I got to act with Ewan McGregor very briefly, wow. which was like, which was mental. And, yeah. but yeah, when you do the auditions, it is... Sometimes you are looking at it, going, "Okay, right? How? What would an astronaut think in this situation?" And you're like, "I, you know what? (laughs) I don't know." You see,
0: I'm I'm kind of glad to hear the positivity here because I adore it. I love auditions. I love being on set. I love all of it. But I love the ridiculous. I'm aware of the ridiculousness of it all, but I enjoy it. But I worried at points that you're going to (laughs) be, you're going to get an audition through and go, "Ah, for fuck's sake, this is so dumb." This is so stupid because I know how your brain or how good you are at breaking things down and analyzing and at its core it is dumb but that's kind of what I love about it and
1: I'm glad that you seem to be enjoying that too. Yeah, Ger- I think Jerry Seinfeld said it was just dress up, isn't it? It's when you're playing dress yeah. up. And, and it yeah. is that but it's it, it's such a silly challenge to and I think one thing I've learned is that actors or people who work in TV are really impressed that you're a stand-up. Hmm. Whereas I don't yeah. think that that makes you a better actor. But now I, the more I've thought about it, the more I think, oh yeah, actually if you're on your toes, you know, seven nights a week in a comedy club, yeah, um, it kind of makes you react a little bit quicker in the moment, which maybe makes you a better actor.
0: All of the live performance stuff. I remember
1: t- t- talking to Brett Goldstein
0: and he was saying how stupid I was for, for wanting to be an actor. Because he's like, no, no, no. All of us actors want to be musicians. You're doing it the wrong way. You're stopping the bit that we want to get to, to do the bit that we're all, all all sick of. And yeah, I think there are certain things there. And again, it's about that, isn't it? I always remember I got my early acting gigs with no training. But again, i had been encouraged because people were like, well, you perform every night. You've spent all this time on stage. You've done the music videos and like the simple thing that's, Simon Pegg said to me I'm sure it was I always accredit it to Simon Pegg I'm probably wrong but he said that you know when you're doing that angry song you know you're not really angry and when you're doing that sad song you know you're not really sad but you're performing it every night and you know it's not the full range of acting but it's it's elements there and then I did the same as as kind of of what you've said for me it was after a few roles I did some really great acting classes because I'm like right I don't want to lose what I've got naturally, or the rawness mm. of what I've learned from performance in if, in different areas. But I also don't want to just go, oh, I'll just bowl in and do it. Yeah. It'll be fine. I'll just figure it out. <laughs> I wish I, <laughs> I wish know? I had
1: Brett Goldstein and Simon Pegg give me acting advice. I think that would that would help quite a lot.
0: <laughs> Mate, I almost <laughs> dropped the other one. When you were saying that it's 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 dress up, one of the first people I worked with was Tom Hardy. And he's he's the person who recommended the acting coach I went to and all this stuff. But he refers to it as face pulling. He says he's a face puller, but he gets paid to go and pull faces and he's just really good at picking the right faces to pull. And I love that. I love things like that. I always remember hearing a podcast as well with Andrew Scott or seeing an interview maybe with Andrew Scott and he said, plays are called plays for a reason because they're mm. meant to be up there, their play. And he said, a lot of people take it all too seriously and you have to go and enjoy yourself. And mess about and there's a beauty in that
1: my acting coach thought, would get me to do my stand-up and then when he'd click his fingers I had to go into the lines so it's just, just yes. as a way of like naturalizing but then I love it. that adds a whole other fear you're like well now I'm just bombing in front of one person doing my <laughs> yeah. during, I'm just doing stand-up in front of one guy and he was very yeah. kind like kind of smiling and, and and laughing but you know that's a whole other stressful situation so as soon as it got to the lines I was like oh thank god I don't have to keep talking about dick jokes and fire jokes now in front of this acting coach that's fucking great on every level though right because you're excited like
0: all the nerves are gone from doing the actual lines because you're like just let me stop doing this fucking
1: one man (laughs) gig
0: (laughs) this gig to a one man audience were you ever someone to to play your music to people face to face because I'm not going to name any names here but I've been in a room with numerous musicians who've been like here check out this new track or check out these new tracks and Plural. I sat there in the in their studio, just like, mm-hmm, okie-doke. Like, I don't, I'm no good. I don't know. I've always been bad at feedback on music anyway. Like, Sage Francis and, and B. Dolan the two people, I always use an example, who stopped sending stuff to me for feedback. Because my response, I'd listen to everything, every second of it, then go back going, y- y- yeah, man, that sounds great. And it's like, right, that's not what we're here for. That's not what we're hitting you up for.
1: <laughs> when, when I was a musician, I went to a, it was a, ma- a label meet, a manager, I think. It was a big manager or a big label or something. And mm. they put my demo on and it was one of the only times that I had to listen to my own music and watch someone listening to it. Oh, and he no, was, doing, he was doing keepy-uppies the whole time with a football. This man, this like <laughs> big label guy was like in the, in the office doing these keepy-uppies. <laughs> and then it got to the chorus of my song and he just went, yes! And I went, oh, wow, it's a good chorus. And then he just went, 35 keepy-uppies. <laughs> <laughs> I need context. Which era of
0: Josh Weller was this? Was this, this was uh solo twee, artist. Twee, twee solo artist or, or, or punk rock. So tweed. again, that's even, even more amusing to, yeah, th- was, to think of this adorable, nice pop singer-songwriter stuff and he's doing keepy-uppies.
1: <laughs> it was, yeah, that was during the... Um, I used to wear... When, when I first moved to London, mm. I just thought, I was like, you have to have an image. You have to have like a, you know, you have to stand out from the crowd. And someone told me the story that Madonna used to go to, to parties in, a, in her pajamas. So everyone would go, who's the girl in the pajamas? Mm. And it would kind of get her name out. And I sort of naively, what Madonna had is that she was also Madonna. So she had a, you know, she had the skill set and the talent of Madonna and I think when I, one of the big mistakes, well not mistakes, but one of the things I did when I moved to London, I, you know, I, I wore like tweed jodhpurs and a tweed jacket and a bow tie and I, my hair went up like, oh, probably like a foot high with full of like hairspray. I've got
0: a couple of beautiful
1: pictures of us together in that era. Yeah. Because you used to have a night at Pure Groove Records. Then yeah. You know, I was trying to, yeah. I was thinking about where we met and you are, and it was such an honor when you asked me to do your, this was 2009 probably.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And around it was such
0: them. an but honor again, to do your it's, gig. It's funny what you're saying there about how ludicrous an idea it was. That it works though, because I had the same. I'd always wear a suit and I had a big beard because mm. I knew that on a long night of of poetry, people again, you do. There is a point of you've got to have some material as well, but it makes you easy to reference. So mm. people would be, oh, the one, the big guy with the big beard, and that was, you know, at that point beards hadn't come into fashion or anything so it was a kind of that kind of madonna in pajamas thing is really handy because it's it makes you stand out particularly if you're an acoustic singer songwriter i mean there's a a lot of them how do you differentiate or or define a rich one it was if you were the one in tweed with a bow tie with huge hair you know, a, a were you pissed the off ceiling? when
1: beards came in? Did it annoy you when beards came into fashion?
0: I mean, I'm, I'm not sure which part of this speaks to my ego more. It annoyed me a bit, but more so, I thought I did that. Because <laughs> <laughs> cause, cause, cause the, guard, the Guardian did, when hipsters became a thing, the Guardian did a breakdown of what a hipster is. It was either the Guardian or the Independent of what a hipster is. And on their breakdown, they had, beards inspired by poet rapper Scroobius Pip. So The Guardian literally credited me with, make, with bringing beards into fashion. So there was a small part of me that briefly thought, obviously I'm not solely responsible,
1: but did kind of think, I played my part though. <laughs> someone told me back in the day that Jedwood's um, stylist stole my haircut. And I, uh, I, I, I recounted that to someone recently. And they, and they just went, is that a good thing that that's your legacy? Are you proud yeah. of that? What you a inspired the Jedward haircut? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was. It, man, it was. It was. Yeah, it was. It was an interesting time to be um, a musician in London. I don't know if it's the same now. I don't think there's a scene in the same way. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm not in it anymore. But I, I don't know if there's a circuit in the way that. And I'm also not involved with new bands. But I don't know if there's places that people go and play now. Like whereas when we started, it was like I would see you probably. Th- every week just we'd be we'd be on a lineup somewhere together
0: it's what i loved about that scene though is it didn't make any sense <laughs> yeah. it was just people that happened to be like it was me you like kate nash jack benyate <laughs> yeah. adele paloma all these people there wasn't really a link between no. what all of us were doing but we just happened to all be there and yeah that's what i, I loved about that because I've talked in the past how I was never really embraced by any of the rap scenes, really. A little bit of indie rap in America kind of all all got on board with me at one point. But thinking back to that scene, it's fascinating, because, again, there's no logic. It genuinely yeah. is. There's so much chance involved. It must be that we happened to be doing the same open spots or someone was at one gig and booked us for another. Because, yeah, we'd see each other all the time. But what we were making had nothing particularly in common.
1: No, no, absolutely. And, and it, it was quite an interesting period for music, just in regard to, I, you know, people complain now about record labels that going on TikTok, and they're like, that's how they find hits now. Isn't that stupid? But it was the same with us, but it was just, it was Myspace. It was, it 100%. was... Every generation has a different medium that's sort of judged for how people get their, their names out. You know, if it was in the eighties and with it with be it like cassette tapes or, you know, um gig circuits and whatnot. And 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 now I don't really think it's any different. I just think that the maybe the attention span is a little shorter. But, you know, if you can write I mean, Jesus, if you can write a fifteen second clip and have that become a hit record, that's quite a feat in itself. Mm. Um if, and if you put that on TikTok and it goes, you know, and that's something that gets you noticed, I don't really have a, a problem with that. But I, I think that it was much more about getting your stripes as a live performer when we met. I think, mm. and yeah. less about songwriting, which maybe is, was an oversight on my part because I, you know, if I'd have been a, if I'd have spent more time writing songs rather than spraying my hair up to foot high <laughs> and going to bow tie <laughs> shops.
0: I think you've you've nailed one of the connections there though that did tie that scene together was we were all people who were getting some level of hype on Myspace mm. but wanted to go out and perform to get those stripes and earn it. So it wasn't just a, like I know there were bands that blew up on Myspace and never really did much else because they yeah. were just like, oh, everyone loves it, I'm huge. But well, when they would then get a big festival slot, they were dog shit live. Like they couldn't do anything. But (laughs) the beauty of that was all of us were like, oh shit, there's people who want to hear us. Cool. I'm going to go and play every night and Mm. meet those people and turn that into real life, you know, fan base and and interactions and moments rather than just looking at your listener count on your MySpace music player and and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and it was all about getting on the MySpace homepage. And I I, I just did, my Edinburgh show was about my sort of failed music career about trying to be yeah. a, a pop star. And I, de- I sort of went back and, you know, had to delve through everything to write the show. And one of the bits I cut from the show was that one the, one of the main things that got me like big label exposure was being on the MySpace homepage. Yeah. And, I, and normally when you're on the MySpace homepage, you're on there for like two days, three days was their kind of rule. And I was on there for two weeks, which made the wow. record industry go, wow, he must be really good if MySpace have left him up on the homepage for two weeks. But what it was was that everyone at MySpace put me on the homepage and then on the like Tuesday went to Glastonbury and got like, <laughs> <laughs> got like ketted off their face, so went to the festival, watched the Claxons, came back, had a come down. And then by the time they took me off, it had been about two weeks. Yeah. And everyone kind of thought they were like, oh, this guy must be good. But no, it was just everyone was who put me up there went and got spanked and then And then had a hangover.
0: It fits perfectly as well, though, because everything that you were saying about focusing on maybe style over substance at at that point, (laughs) that's what we remember MySpace for. It's all about the different haircuts and photos that we had in that period. So, of course, you were on the front
1: for two weeks. (laughs) I went to that. I remember going to their office once, and they had like a jam room. Everyone in the office was about 12 as well, which in retrospect... I walked in there and everyone was 25 and I was like, wow, look at these grownups. And there yeah. was, everyone was sort of on bean bags, and they had a, a whole room that they were like, this is just in case anyone wants to play music. And then, and then all the food was like bought in every meal of the day. And I just remember going in going like, there is no way this business model is going to work. <laughs> there is no way yeah that this can survive as the way that it was. No one had a clue what they were doing. people were literally it was a bit like the the chris Morris that uh, Nathan Barley show mm-hmm. from like fifteen years ago. It was literally that just people just watching the YouTube video of the chimpanzee smelling its ass and like yeah. and they were yeah. all on sixty grand a year. It was insane. it was such yeah. a mad. Boom of social media it was crazy. I'd kind of take it back over over what we've got now.
0: <laughs> I'd kind of take back <laughs> the ignorant idiots kind of just you know burn bright and 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 burn out than the fucking dumpster fire that we've got on a, a lot of social media these days. But I mean, a lot of that are things I want to talk about. But I guess we should fill in some gaps because last time you were on was two thousand and eighteen.
1: Wow, Blimey.
0: and a lot has happened since then because on that episode you revealed that you'd done your first stand-up gig mm. um like the the, uh, uh, the night before or something and it was the first time you'd talked about moving into stand-up i think it's something you'd been working on quietly for a while but yeah it was the first time you almost held yourself accountable and put it on record that you're a comedian now and it's
1: gone pretty fucking well It's been mad. Yeah, I I don't think I gigged again. I think I properly started like 2019 is sort of when I consider the start of it. But yeah, I do remember that first gig. I went to Shepherd's Bush and I was so proud of myself. I turned up at the pub, ordered an alcohol-free beer and I still smoked. I had a cigarette and I was just stood outside the pub and was like, I can't believe I've made this transition from music and I've quit that. And and a a bunch of people told me not to do stand-up and I was like, I'm going to do it and I was really happy with myself. I took a sip of the beer and then I realized I was in the wrong pub. (laughs) So then I had to run across Shepherd's Bush to the right pub and then I just (laughs) ate my balls, which I continued to do for... Probably six shows a week for a year. Just, it just, you just bomb every night doing open mic, and they're bringer shows, and you have to bring someone with you to to so that you can get stage time. They won't let you on unless you bring someone. Mm -hmm. Um, So I burnt a lot of friendships. um, (laughs) But yeah, it's mate, it's been like everything I sort of wanted to. Everything you dream about happening, you know. I mean, there's a long way to go and to to get to where I want to get to. There's still a lot that I want to accomplish, but. Everything you want to happen is, a, is a, when you want to be... a mu- Or when I, I wanted to be a musician or when you want to be in entertainment or whatever is that dream of like everything kind of falling into place and like, a, you know, some cigar-chomping record label guy coming to the gig and being like, you're going to be a star, kid. And then before you know it, you know, you're getting your toes licked and you're on a helicopter. yeah Like that, that stuff it was always a struggle in music. Like I couldn't get a record deal. I signed to one in France eventually, because that was the only territory that would sign me and then couldn't get an agent, couldn't get all that stuff. Whereas comedy, everything's kind of just been, I got very lucky very early and and I got signed very quickly and they've been really good and, and patient and allowing me to work and getting me work and kind of, you know, really padding the ground for me to make, I mean, content is a, is a, I like I like making it but I do Instagram's sort of like an interactive business card it's sort of how you find a fan base and mm. and going back to you know TikTok and MySpace it's it's just another way to engage people and try and see a return of investment on ticket sales and or, stuff like or, that.
0: Well that's one of the things I wanted to talk about because I'm glad you brought up TikTok earlier in music cuz in the music industry now if I know a lot of people have kind of l- lashed back against the fact that all labels want is for you to have a 15-second mm. TikTok hit and all that, and it's not about this and that. And I believe that all of these things, like the same with MySpace, all of these things work if you happen to enjoy them. Mm. But if you try and force it, it's almost impossible. And yeah. that's what I see with your clips and content. It's like, this feels perfect for you because it's it's a medium that you're really good at expressing your, your thoughts and ideas in and, and distilling the ideas of... The, the clichés of different so the the drum guy and just just also the guitar drum guy and the the drum pad guy and all these different clichés of social media it feels perfect for you so do you mm. enjoy it and is it as is it or yeah, do you do, have to yeah. go is there an element of you that has to go i need a new one yeah what i mean that's do? the thing
1: is you know it is it isn't like making an album where people go oh that was really good it's like you have to churn out like a new episode like every couple of yeah. days yeah so you yeah. are And I make so many that I'm like, this is not funny enough and you end up, you know, they don't get posted and they they sort of become like B-sides and they just sit on a hard drive somewhere. But I I mean, I always loved comedy that was, where you're not sure if the person's joking or not, you know? Mm. And I I grew up watching, you know, like Jackass and and Tom Green and Larry Sanders' show and then like Fred Armisen, you know, he was a big hero of mine. When he was making those drum tutorial videos back in the kind of mid-2000s when it was just a drum tutorial, but it's laced with, you're like, is this guy, is it real that he's pretending that he's a, a paraladder para doodle diddle or whatever it was called? And, and like, yeah. so those were really the the things that I have always, that are just kind of in my soul of like, oh, okay, well, it's really funny when people aren't sure if you're joking. But then the, the turnaround is, you know, like you say about social media being a dumpster fire is you don't really want to be on the receiving end of, getting people angry but when you're making like a fake loop pedal video or something and then you really piss off all the loop peddlers and you get like hundreds of i mean that then it's it's nothing but funny
0: well that's what i was gonna say you're kind of you're 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 fail proofing yourself because if everyone hates it then you've nailed it (laughs) like i always remember i had really like this was around this was maybe 2010 or 11 maybe 2011 or 12 actually, I took Brian Gittins on tour with me. I did a spoken word tour and it was David Earl doing his Brian Gittins character. And some nights I also had Kay Tempest and other nights, I think I had Polar Bear for a few bits. And that character is genius because again, it is, it's an intentionally bad stand-up. But, you do have people unsure. Like if he nails it, people are unsure if this was intentional or not. And it's one of the best things to watch. I just, I love that that area of comedy as well. I fucking can't get enough of it. But David Earl, who plays Brian Gittens, is a very a sensitive soul. So I told him before, he'd come off stage every night and apologise to me because he felt it had gone so badly. But it had gone perfectly because a spoken word crowd, again, that's, Imagine, <laughs> or it is, it's what you're doing on, on social media, really. It's these people who aren't sure if you're joking or not. Mm. A spoken word crowd don't know they're about to get a nuanced <laughs> comedian that's pretending to be a comedian. So there were genuinely people in the crowd like, "What is what? What's ha-? Like, The confusion was, and I'd stand in the crowd every night just drinking it in. So I wanted to ch- ch- check on that with you, because you do repost a lot of them. So I've, I've assumed that you take them well, but... Oh, a lot of the insults. You've made some people fucking yeah. furious. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it's... Someone messaged me, it was... Uh, do you know the band Wargasm? Yeah. So Milky from Wargasm messaged me and she was like, you must have... It's something like, you know, you must have nerves of steel to deal with this stuff. And I was like, no, nah, it's just... I just think it's funny. Like, it's it's a very yeah. personal thing. If you post And it's kind of the goal at a point. Like... To an extent, it's the goal, isn't it, as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it's the same on Twitter. I think Twitter is a bit of a weird place right now. But Instagram is, the way that people find it is a lot more selective and and, and it mm. caters more towards the type of people that are going to gear towards your content. But yeah, I mean, if you're making a video about tapping a guitar like a drum and saying that it's, you know, annoying, and then you get all the people that do it just coming for you, that's I'm not saying it's the goal, but it's like, it's sort of like a ricochet effect that is like a nice bonus where you get to go, oh, <laughs> yeah. okay, well, take a look at all the insults I'm getting. This is really funny, you know? And then the people
0: who get the joke and enjoy the joke, enjoy it more because of that. So it's, yeah. you, you, you get extra, extra laughs out of it. Like you get that echo of, of, of the original joke.
1: Yeah. I think if, if, if with any joke, if you can get like 30% of the people to love it and, Thirty percent to to not care, and then the other thirty to not be sure if it's real. That's a pretty good average, I think. Yeah, Um, you know, you're never going to do something that everyone loves, but um, for me, that's that's a huge part of the of the joy of it, of the goal of it is sort of I wouldn't, I don't know if it's negging, but like, um, but just making something where you go, oh, I'm not sure if I think people might think this is real, and that's so, it's so fun to. Do that, and I would love to do that more in long form for in in a show of some kind, but that's you know, that's further down the line, I think. Well, speaking of
0: of shows, one of your kind of series of things that you've done is something that I've seen on social media and thought this trend because I took I talked to Alistair Green about this that there's some stuff on social media that doesn't translate to TV or certainly Mm. not in a polished way. If you were going to put it on TV, you'd need to like the. Alistair Green stuff what's great about it is how it's all made with just a phone it's lo-fi it's all so simple if you then turn that into a polished sitcom it probably wouldn't be as funny that's Mm. kind of like the aesthetic is part of it but your interviews as a music video director or as a producer just translates so perfectly like and and again there was i i i assume you kind of ran out of videos at one point because there was a point where you were doing them so regularly just pretending so to explain you'd for example pretend to be the the director of a bon jovi video or whomever else yeah and you'd break down parts of it and again it's just it feels like it's endless content it feels like you've probably filmed hours of that and turn Yeah it, into it a was I mean the, clip. the
1: best one was Sting everyone listening to this go go youtube sting i'm so happy i can't stop crying and it's one of the funniest he's got like a mullet mohawk he's wearing leather trousers on a horse and then these aliens come in and do a barn dance like cgi and it's like it's sort of around the time that men in black was yeah was a big movie and I think that they kind of jumped on tried to jump on that bandwagon a little bit. And then there's like a there's like an anti-meat message where like the aliens cut up a CGI cow and turn it into like beef produce. Yeah. And um <laughs> and I got and I was like watching it and <clears throat> I was like, wow, my, my housemate showed it to me and went, you should you know and I kind of thought, oh, it's funny. Who directed that? And then you go, okay, well, it'd be funny to pretend you directed it and just make up like really spurious reasons as to why you made those choices as a filmmaker. But the reason I stopped doing it is because the copyright law changed on Instagram. Right. So you could no longer upload full-length music videos. So the algorithm started detecting that I was posting other people's work. So yeah. that's kind of why it stopped. And then I tried it on YouTube and the same thing happened. So th- uh, that's annoying. That's that's one of those things that you have to kind of pray that in a couple of years, maybe a stream service would be like, oh, yeah, we'll pay. We'll pay the license rights for that and you can just do it here or something like that. But but yeah. with all those things, you know, every project you do or project fucking stupid videos or like every script or whatever it is, comic books, whatever, even if they don't kick off and, and get developed, they, they all just sit on the shelf and you can kind of accumulate. Um, I never really see stopping those things as a failure because you just have them in the bank and you can always come back to them later on, you know?
0: Yeah. I completely agree. And again, loads of, not to try and (laughs) to force work upon you, but if a BBC or a Channel 4 or whomever else, they pay PRS and licensing, so Mm. they're allowed to play music videos. So that could so easily be an iPlayer thing or a 4OD thing or whatever else that are just, yeah, endless, endless entertainment. I need to know, were you ever a fan of the Chili Peppers? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah I love them yeah, yeah.
0: because your chili f- purpose run killed me but made me also go man I really enjoyed this at one point and now it seems inexplicable that there was a time that I found this not only acceptable but enjoyable because yeah you did a couple of breakdowns I think of just of how they write songs or yeah, yeah I did I did some stand up about it yeah
1: and I posted <laughs> I did a stand up clip and then I, I think I've done three or four things now where I'm sort of laying into them but but at the same time like they are a brilliant Like, Californication is a great record. And that's the thing the thing that whenever I sort of do something that people might perceive as shitting on an artist, like, I did one that was how to write a Bruce Springsteen song. And it was like, it was like number one reference a dead end job. Which is like <laughs> working part-time in a diner. And then uh, and then like means of escape, which is I saved up all of my money, bought a brand new Cadillac, and then it's like name an American city. Because there's nothing going on in Jersey. And then it's then <laughs> then it was like, and then say things that no one can understand. <laughs> and um and all the Springsteen fans came for me. And I've seen Bruce Springsteen live seven or eight times. Yeah. And it's like I, I do think that. Like, I'm a huge take, Springsteen fan yeah, and take I watched a that and just adored like, it. Yeah, like obviously yeah. all of those things come from a place of love. Like I'm not um like I'm getting it from nineteen seventy-five fans at the minute for some silly TikTok video. And it's like, no, but I mean I've listened to enough of the songs to be able to break it down. And I don't listen to things that I don't like, you know. Yeah. Life's too yeah. short. And yeah. but you do notice traits in songwriting and you do notice there are formulas that every musician has and it's fun to acknowledge them and and i guess i guess you celebrate and take the piss of maybe a little bit close together in this context but mate come on like around the world is a banger yeah you know
0: 100 but yeah. again it's there's so much n- nonsense in all of their stuff and it doesn't make any sense that this became a big thing
1: well when i started doing stand-up i used to just read out i used to take the, the lyric the, the cd to gigs and just read out the lyrics before yeah. i had any jokes i would just read yeah. out like purple stain <laughs> Or um, what's the one where he goes? Um, can can I swear on here? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. What's the one where he goes? Gorilla, cantilla, Sammy D, and salmonella. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Come yeah. with me, cause I'm an ass killer. You're ill. I'm iller. And and you know he, they sold a hundred million records. So the joke's on me. But Oops. I mean that is a funny lyric.
0: <laughs> Anthony the, heat is the- doesn't appear in enough top five rappers of all time lists.
1: Civil, live, t- live, live, li- John Frashanti. he's <laughs> <It's> great. <laughs> They're great lyrics. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Have you ever watched what makes this song stink? No, I've watched what makes this song great. I'm a. I love Rick Beato.
0: You love what makes this song stink. It's this comedian in America has done these in as a tribute to, 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 to Beato. It's on YouTube. He's only done like five or six episodes. They all got huge and then he's just not making any. It's the most annoying thing in the world. But <laughs> the best one of that is when he does a Weezer song. And again, it's that beauty of it's because he clearly loves Weezer so much mm. that he then breaks down. And again, I think, I think you'd really enjoy it because he's a musician. So, 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 so. It is this, he's approaching it from a comedian and a musician's perspective. And he breaks down, like he'll pick a particular song that he thinks is just really bad and he'll break down why it's bad. I think you'll enjoy it. So um, check it out. there's a little a, a plug for that. But speaking of enjoying, I fucking adored your
1: Fringe show. Oh, thanks, mate. You came on the worst night.
0: I loved it. I came oh. with, I bumped into, uh, the funniest part was I bumped into a couple of people outside that I know. I bumped into... Jamie Demetriou, who had to rush off. He he didn't come to my show, did he? No, he didn't. Annoyingly, he had to rush off. But I bumped into, I'm not going to say who, but I bumped into another actor I've had on. I will, it's Nikesh Patel. Um, I bumped into another actor and we had this really good chat and then him and his mate said, right, we've got to go, we've got a a show to get to. And they rushed off and then came back and went, "Watch." show were you queuing for? I was like, Josh Weller. I was like, yeah, that's the show we've got to get to. So it was the ultimate walk off and then walk in the same direction because we said our goodbyes and then they just came and queued with me and sat next to me for an hour. Uh, So (laughs) that's
1: nice. I didn't know he came to the show. Yeah.
0: Again, I loved it, but it felt weirdly emotional for me knowing so much of your journey and it felt like I'd caught the show that was the culmination of the bits of your journey I know as such, if you know Mm. what I mean. Because it was... I've watched. I think it was the first time I've caught you live. I might have caught you once before doing a small set, but it was the first. It was definitely the first time I'd got a full set. But I'd watched loads of your clips that you share and post.
1: Mm.
0: And this show, I mean, it's it's, so, it's such a fringe show, Josh. It's such a here's my life in an hour, um, <laughs> but it works perfectly. So, how was that to kind of to put together? I guess like, like when you started doing comedy, did you have in your mind? I'm going to work towards a show that is kind of addressing the fact that I'm doing comedy, addressing my music career and everything else that I wanted to do.
1: Yeah, I didn't want to go anywhere near music when I started doing comedy. And for the most part, I don't. Like when I do clubs, I don't take anything. I think that there's still that punk thing in me that's like you have to be able to smash a room with a microphone. And I think Mm -hmm. as soon as you're... And I'm not judging... Any people that use instruments or backing tracks or anything like that, because when it's great, it's 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 brilliant. Um, but for me, I just I didn't want to have a crux. I felt like I had to earn my uh stripes just with a microphone and 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 then you can kind of add to knowing you can get laughs with other aspects. But mm. it was Alfie Brown and Claire House. Were both like you need to talk about music. You need to because I've been you know Alfie was he directed the show Mm. and he was for years like I mean he's a big part as to why I started doing stand up because I kind of I I suggested a few ideas to him that ended up in his like award winning shows and I remember being like oh for fuck's sake like that that's my that could have been a great ah what I can't believe I said that to him and then I started not telling him good ideas Um, in case I could use them later on. but um it wasn't ever something that i wanted to do but then i think i was meant to go up to edinburgh last year and i had the pleasant but then i got cast in the witcher so couldn't go mm-hmm. and then this year my agent was like yeah you should do the you should do that age against the machine show and i and i previewed it a bunch and 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 went up and and told the story of cuz th- one of the things that really like fucks me off is that we live in this world now of like unbridled positivity and all these like CEO, high performance, talking to successful people and, you know, chase your dreams. And if you chase it, you'll never fail. And like, there's no like book about achieving your goals and, and, and then it not working and dealing with like abject failure. And mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to write a show that was like the funny side of failure and why failure is actually really good for you. Because if you fail at your dream you know, as, as heart-wrenching as that is, it only leads to better things. And, and, and how to deal with having a dream and not accomplishing it is, is a big reason that people don't try and chase their dreams or, or you know, why people become embittered with failure or whatever. And, and I kind of just thought, oh, I'd be funny to do a show about this because I tried really hard and it didn't work. And that's funny. Um, mm. rather than looking at it as a sad thing. And I, I wanted it to be a journey of like, I did all the things right, but it just didn't, all the beats didn't happen. All the things, all the the sort of... Um, the cocktail for success just didn't mix together well enough and um, I, th- I don't know I think that's I think that's a, I think that's a really, really good grounds for a comedy show and I think it's really funny to talk about trying to be a pop star and like the yes. insanity of going into co-write sessions which is which is for people who don't know is when you when you can't write a hit your record label kind of or your managers or even just yourself you go and write with other people who have like a track record and pop hits and I spent years in these rooms with some of the most insane human beings mm. on the planet and you're almost jinxing it because when you go in to write a hit i would argue that every great hit and i and, and i don't mean hit you can write a hit with 10 people and it can be a hit but every timeless classic i would argue always came from a place of honesty not from a place of trying to write a pop hit, trying to write Where, a hit yeah. whether it's like teenage dreams or you know, like any of those great Katy Perry songs or any great Adele song, is I would argue that they all came from a from an honest place. Mm. And the fact that they were big hits is because people can identify with the honesty in the craft and in the songwriting and in the lyrics. And I think that I spent so long doing those sessions that that was really funny. Touring is really funny. Getting a record deal in the music industry and just coked up a at your gigs. And all that stuff is funny. And, and I realized that, I'm maybe one of the few comedians that has that background that can talk about those things and kind of make yeah. jokes about them and I started to see that as a as a strength or like a like a unique you know, unique selling point or something. So but yeah, you did come on. I think you came to the cuz you texted me while I was backstage.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were
1: like don't be shit, so don't be shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then my dad was there, and I think Channel Four were there, and it was just a hard. That was a hard room.
0: Mate, was, it was. Amazing. I was so
1: upset I'm, afterwards I'm, that you. Uh, that no, you are, I'm I was intrigued
0: like, to see how it, it. Like what a good one looks like because as I said I thought it was just fantastic, and I, I wish <laughs> any of the people who are angry at you taking the piss out of Bruce Springsteen or, or whomever else needs to come and see that show because you also break down some of your bad lyrics from your mm. past and some of your possibly troubling, like cancelable lyrics from, oh, yeah. from, from the past. There was one there that I was like, I hope I didn't hear that at the time because I hope to think I wouldn't have been like, oh yeah that's No fine. yeah.
1: It was it was my first single. It was called Pretty Girls. And I tried to yeah. I tried to write a song about about how we judge women too harshly on their looks but I tried to write it like Randy Newman so like in the first person kind of make it again like I didn't realize I was a comedian but the lyrics were sort of um you know meant to be funny but in retrospect it just sounds like it just it's just not a good song and the funny thing was is it it became like a running gag where everyone at my agency was like oh my god we love that song because they were hearing it every night so they were like can you send us the full song and I was like absolutely not no that song yeah. dies with me.
0: That's not the one. It's like no, it's the
1: one. Yeah, and then the co-writing understanding lyrics in well, the context.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I always remember me and Dan playing. Is it Green Green Belt Festival? I think, and it's a Christian festival. And we hadn't really realised, but we were like getting a huge slot on the main stage. We're like, that's great. And I always remember the cheer that our song "Let from God to Man" got, or certain cheers throughout it. And the, that song's always gone down well, but these cheers felt different. And I felt uncomfortable because I was like, "No, that's I don't think this is I don't think you're hearing this how I mean it." And it's not that it's an anti-religious song, but it certainly isn't a "God is great" type song. And I feel that with Jose and our people probably hearing it again, yeah, man, this song's (laughs) this song's really the one. And you're like, I don't know, you get it.
1: (laughs) Well, the same thing happened with "Born to Run." It was used for the Republican presidential campaign, wasn't it? And Springsteen was like, "Well, I'm not playing that live anymore." uh, Springsteen
0: is one of the great examples. I did a big rant about this on on one of my Twitch streams recently because people don't realise that "Or Born in the USA is is anti-America, essentially. It's talking about the lack of progression and the dead-end nature of it. Almost all of Springsteen's stuff. People think of Springsteen as the America guy. Almost all of his stuff is about how bleak it is and about people who have never moved on from high school and just all these depressing things. Yet, yeah, you see him as 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 the cheer as as the America guy.
1: Yeah, I wonder if he ever. I wonder if that ever crosses his mind when he's playing it live, and he's like, "Okay, I, I don't think you're getting this." <laughs> I talked to, in early on in this podcast.
0: I had a Wes Borland on, and we talked about that with Biscuit, because Wes Borland was the ultimate kind of art school outsider kid, and then this band turned into the jock band. Mm. And he he definitely had a period of being like I don't relate to my audience at all because yeah I'm the art school I'm the guy you would have all picked on at school yeah and now you're 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 singing along and loving it and it's like this feels weird and wrong it's Al Murray
1: <laughs> yeah well yeah I mean Limp Biscuit were like a band that I, I I I didn't talk about them in the show but there was a there's a bit in the show where I talk about I love when parents get offended by lyrics to songs Mm. and it's and it shows a generational shift that the new generation has written a song that sums up its era so well that it offends the generation that came before it and then i talk about the first song that my parents that offended my parents and i ask the audience to shout out you know what song did you love that your parents hated and i would say nine times out of ten someone in the audience shouted limbiscuit yeah and I know enough about them that I would go. Oh, I don't really know about Limp Bizkit. And then I would tell this like very intricate story as to their success and their how they were accepted by the black community. And then they kind of spearheaded the new metal movement. And then I remember seeing Wes Borland when he left Limp Bizkit, and he said um, he was like, you know, the money's great, but this is this is what it feels like to sell out. He's like, this is what it feels like when your soul turns black.
0: Yeah.
1: And and then he then he left after um <laughs> after Chocolate Starfish. <laughs> <laughs> So so he was like, yeah, that's cool. Let's call the album Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water.
0: You see, that's the beautiful thing with, with your music love and knowledge and fandom is you did a similar thing when someone picked an Eminem song and you could give just at the one I was at and give a yeah. detailed history of Eminem's rise every album and all of that kind of thing. And it's great to have that kind
1: of up your sleeve as such. It's just a, like it's like a silly party trick, and I remember someone yeah. afterwards said that that it was one of one night. Someone was like, "Oh, that was was that a plant? Like, did you put someone in the audience to shout that out?" And I was like, "Do you really think I have the budget to pay someone <laughs> to come to my show every night and sit there and shout out Len? Yeah, yes, yeah. or, or Smash Mouth?
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> one day you will. One uh, day you yeah. will. Fingers I mean, crossed." we're getting towards having to wrap this up, but I want to talk a little bit about, because you touched upon your show being about kind of achieving your dreams and f- failing as such or reaching those goals and failing. And I wonder, is music indus- is the music industry w- w- one of the only industries that's, n- I think it's 90% s- set up to believe that you've failed. And again, to go back to when we were gigging, people like, kate nash and paloma and numerous others signing to big labels and then it's and doing absolutely amazing but at different points always being made no matter how high they were you're made to feel as if you're failing i remember gigging with paloma at her her first album launch i think and it being one of the best gigs i've ever seen and going backstage and some record label exec had had the keyboardist i think it was in tears because they'd started a song in the wrong key and they'd had to perform this song in the wrong key and all this. And I'm like, I'm there at my level going, this is the dream. They've they've headlined the Hoxton Bar and Kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and at that point, I'm like, wow, how could you get to these heights? But I think it is an industry f- for that, right? Because I'd say, again, so much of what you did, you you did get signed to a major label, admittedly the French leg yeah. of a major label. But... Still counts. You you had all these things happen, but success is never really success unless, or so rarely, unless you become Adele or Bruce Springsteen or whomever else. I think, again, I remember Kate Nash getting dropped from the label because that next album, I think, only had two top 10 hits or some shit like that. And it's like, yeah. what? And that's yeah, failure.
1: I was listening to an interview with a with a punk band I like a lot recently and from the 90s and they were saying that um, the, the week that their second album came out, the label really disappointed because it only sold 240,000 copies. And I was like, that's the biggest album of the year now. Yeah, yeah. And that was just nothing back then. And you're a punk band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're not meant to sell any. <laughs> it's a weird one. I think, because I'm not, I don't really have a dog in the fight at all. I don't have a dog in the fight anymore. Like I'm not a musician. I, I don't, I'm not engaged with the music industry or anything like that, but it's it's interesting that so many people ask me about it, and I do feel like I, I feel very passionate about the welfare of musicians. Like it's so hard to make it nowadays. Well,
0: I I know in 2018 we spent a lot of that episode t- talking about S- Spotify. Mm. and how hard it can be because of the revenues and all that and that hasn't got
1: I, any better I mean no it's if anything it's gotten worse and 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 yeah. you know it's so much harder for bands to profit on merch now as well because mm-hmm. you know the I don't know enough about this to really talk about it but my assumption is that that Brexit has upped production costs and shipping costs mm-hmm. so like if you buy it of like I went to see um so my old bass player from the punk, my punk band, I was in a punk band called The Kenneths. So he's now in a band called Dry Cleaning, who are smashing it. And he was saying that, um, I went to the gig and he was like, oh, don't buy the vinyl because we don't make any profit on it. And I, I remember being really confused because I was like, oh, I thought that was like the main thing that you sold. Vinyl was the
0: big thing to right? sell because it really, yeah.
1: And the avenues, it's like the music industry feels to me like, you know, that. I always forget the name of the artist, but you know, that drawing of those ladders that just go, the staircase, sorry, that just goes yeah. round and round and round.
0: MC Escher.
1: Yeah. The and greatest I, MC. Yeah. Or like, or like, up there with Anthony He was here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like that's, it's like a house where every door has a brick wall behind it now for musicians yeah. i'm like i'm like how what are the things that you can do because if you're playing live like you're i mean fuck man like we were make we got like 50 quid a show and it would we played the royal albert hall and it, we got like 150 quid to mm-hmm. open for someone at the royal for over for leanne to have us at the royal albert hall and the gig probably cost us a grand to do so you're in the mm-hmm. hole and just from one show by yeah. a lot of money and now i i mean f- i mean i really want to you know I, 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 I there has to be a way for for musicians to start seeing profit from you know and, and especially now when you can find a fan base you know you I walk past posters all the time and I'm like, "Who the fuck has sold out the roundhouse I don't even know who the band is, yeah um, which is also just age like I'm not yeah you know, yeah, yeah yeah you know it, that's just why. music's not pop music's not for me anymore
0: and I think leaving the music industry because I had a weird thing of that of after I stopped making music, I listen to so little. New music at least now. And again, I I can't decide if it's related to music or as you just say, age. That's what Mm. happens. But yeah. But I mean, it's interesting because I was talking to a publisher friend of mine recently and I want to mention this on the podcast now in case there is anyone listening. But if I had loads of money, I would open either a a vinyl pressing factory in the UK Mm -hmm. or a publishing, like a a, a book printing factory in the UK. Because... There's like two of each and the demand is through the roof. As you say, because of of, of Brexit, all the ones in Germany and Holland that people used to use just aren't affordable anymore. And it just feels like an absolute open goal from a business point of view, but also would be really positive for art because it would be positive for... Small run publishers in the UK for small record labels in the UK for small bands in the UK all of these things. So yeah, if anyone is listening, start up a fucking a, yeah. If, if there are any entrepreneurial billionaires
1: them, listening to this prepare. podcast, start. You make a vinyl. the money.
0: I don't want to cut. I just want to see because, as you say, and and t-shirts as well. You're completely right. And part of that is Brexit, but part of that is positive because it's people going, oh, maybe we shouldn't be using unethical means to get these t-shirts made. So that ramps the price up. But it does also mean if you're not comfortable charging 40 quid for for a t-shirt, then you're going to struggle to make a profit on it. And that was always the thing. People would always argue, I've downloaded your music for free, but I'm coming to the gig and I'm buying the t-shirt. And my argument would always be, would you say to a plumber, I'm not gonna pay you for doing the bathroom, but I've paid for the kitchen and I paid yeah. for the radiators. It's like, no, they're separate things that have their own costs attached to them. And as you say, gigs cost money and yeah. aren't a, a, aren't always a massive money spinner. The, they can be, but aren't always a massive money spinner. So and the same with like merch, it's like, you know, I didn't get that merch for free, right? <laughs> like you you you're buying my merch to make up for the album I yeah. spent thousands on making as well and have to to live off but the merch cost thousands as well.
1: We we did uh the when the punk band we did the Warp tour in 2016 around then and um we'd have these merch drop off points. So that that tour if you if you don't know it so it's like the it's sort of like the crowning achievement of punk tours. Mate, so I I know I texted you about it at the time but you and Brett
0: Goldstein who I mentioned earlier I've always been someone, luckily, particularly in these industries, who doesn't get je- jealous of my mates. I'm always excited for, for their achievements. You and Brett are the two only times I've had a moment of being, oh, fuck you. I've then got on to being happy and proud. It was when Brett got a Marvel role, because I'm a massive a, a superhero nerd, and I had a moment of, ah, for fuck's sake. But then <laughs> then got really excited. And it was when you, you got the Walk Tour, because the Walk Tour was my... M- Mecca. From when I, I was a little punk kid, that was the dream. And when you got the walk I had a moment of ah, oh, fuck Josh and fuck the Kenneths, Ugh. and then I got over it and texted you like, dude, this is amazing. That makes Have a great so time.
1: What, what was what's Brett Goldstein's Marvel role? <laughs> he's um,
0: Hercules. Um, so he's only had the the post credit sequence in one of the Thor films, but it's the big post credit sequence. He comes up and he's like. I will get him, father. So he's going to come after Thor. So he's
1: going to be, he, so they're going to make the character bigger. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Assumably,
0: again, all these things change all the time, but that's just presumably the plan.
1: For the for the people listening who don't uh, know what that means, it means that Brett Goldstein is not going to eat a carb for the next seven years. Yeah, <laughs> that's What that yeah, means. yeah. It's insane. I remember
0: hearing it, I saw a chat with him about it and he was like, I got it and I proceeded to do like, 500 because he was filming Ted Lasso at the time he proceeded to do like 500 press-ups every day in the lead-up to it because it's a tiny little scene but
1: yeah um, yeah yeah, we had we had merch drop-offs every night on that tour so we would have to I mean you'd be in like the ball bag of America and they'd drop off five boxes of t-shirts and then you'd sit in your tent after your show every day and try and sell I think we sold like $11,000 worth of merch on that tour mm. and it was like the, that was genuinely how we paid for our US visas it was how we paid for our flights it was the only way that we could do that tour because i think on the warp tour we got we got $450 a day which between three people is not mm. a lot of money and then you pay immediately you know your bus cost is 150 a day so immediately that's down to 300 and we weren't really taking any of that I think we were taking like $30 a day per diem, which is like just for food and drink and stuff. And yeah. um, and I was talking to a music manager recently whose who's artist is opening for, I can't remember who it was, but someone big on tour, sort of 5,000 cap venues a night. And he said, oh yeah, we're not even bothering with merch because it's, it's also not just production costs. It's also the lack of income that people have now is they're not spending money on, merch Mm. for the support bands they're only buying Mm. merch for the headliners so that that's a whole other like market lost it's it's like yeah man it's 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 upsetting it really
0: is and it's so yeah it's hard to know what the solution is but as said we were shouting about this in 2018 and it was already an old old subject that the music industry just it's so hard to make money now because of and again the fact it's Every every revenue is going away. You're just not mm. going to have musicians. Like you're going to have far fewer um, musicians because people just can't afford to to do it. Or it'll all be a little rich kids. Yeah. So shout out to the 1975. Yeah.
1: Um, In 2028, maybe when I come back, we'll have a we'll be able to talk about it differently.
0: It'll be a solution.
1: Hey, the yeah. music industry turned out fine, didn't it? Yeah,
0: hey, it was all. <laughs> look at this. We're all happy. Who knew? Who knew? Well, oh. to kind of to wrap things up, what's ahead? Or I've, I've got a note here and this is, this seems like such a trite question, but are you happier, Josh? (laughs) Like, Uh, in in comedy than you were in music? Because again, you seem just so, it seems so, and again, this is as someone who was a big fan of you as music. I booked you. I can prove I was a fan of you in music, (laughs) but... You seem so at home in this world. And I, yeah, I just want to know, kind of, yeah, are you happier as such?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's a long way to go. I've got a lot that I still want to accomplish. And I still see myself as, like I did a gig the other night and there was a, two like new comics and they were asking me for advice. And I was like, I'm not, the, I'm still the student, you know? Like I'm not in any it's way.
0: It's isn't it? Because you know?
1: started just before COVID. Yeah. So you're, 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 the
0: length of your time in comedy is deceptive. Mm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I've so you've been really, doing it for yeah. four
1: years, but have you? No, exactly. Like, yeah. I, I there was a year you can take a year out of that and change now immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I, I I said to the guys, I was like, you do realize if I give you advice, I'm going to go on stage and just eat my balls and bomb, which is exactly what happened. It completely jinxed the gig. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um.
1: But yeah, yeah, I am definitely. I mean, I, I you know, I, I love doing this it's the best thing i mean to get a second like lease of life when you've failed at something and to be better at it and to be naturally better at it and and to look forward to it every night you know I, I just i'm enjoying it so much just going going into clubs at the minute and just trying to write new material and 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 then maybe i'll tour the age against the machine show next year i know that we're looking at dates for it at the minute but Uh, I'm unsure whether I want to do that. We might just do some London shows. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, mate, I mean, I I get to make dick jokes professionally. Like what, how many people get to stand on a stage and talk about farts and get paid? It's such a gift. And then the acting thing is like opened up this whole other door of fun. And the acting I really just see is, if I never act again, it's not the end of the world. It's like a. It's like such. It's like the icing on the cake of a very tasty sponge. But yeah, I mean, I, I like I love it. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm very happy. But again, like you know, I'm, I still feel like I'm very much at the beginning of this journey for sure. But
0: that's what's exciting, right? I've I've told this story many a time, but moving into acting and scriptwriting for me was the weirdest thing because it's the first industry I've ever been in where I'm genuinely excited about the future mm. and. With music, like with the the Kenneths as an example, you were really energetic and really on it. And you know, my example is always I l- loved everything I did as a rapper, but I didn't like the idea of being a fifty-year-old rapper or a sixty-year-old yeah. rapper, or so on and so forth. And similar with the, the the Kenneths, it's like it's not the kind of. Obviously, you've got your no effects and your rancid and people like that who who can maintain this, but in general. It's like, it's not the nicest idea of being <laughs> old in that world. Whereas comedy, you're just going to get better and better and better at acting. You're just going to get better and better and better. And
1: yeah, and every negative in music has become a positive in in comedy as well. Like age, yeah. maybe maybe race on some level, um, yeah. you know, my knees. Like, it's like, it doesn't matter if my... I had knee surgery a couple of months ago because I tried to be in a punk band for or I yeah. was in a punk band and... and yeah. And every sort of, um, every negative has become a really, really good thing in comedy. And I, and it's a weird one as well. Like punk was, jazz and blues musicians, that music ages like a fine wine. Like, you know, like the older you get as a blues musician, the sadder your soul gets and Mm. the better your music chops get and, and you become better and better at it and but punk music is like bread like it's it needs to be eaten while it's fresh you know yes. and and it's fucking perfect but then there are there like i'm a huge descendants fan and like they i saw them last year and they were f- they were incredible still mm. and they're all in their 50s or mid 50s yeah. now and so there are bands that are exceptions to that rule but i always yeah, wanted course. to be a really good musician i i never had the bra- that hand eye coordination where i could like or the ear where I could just pick up a guitar and just wail on it. And I think when I do stand up and you're you know you're on stage and you have a joke and you riff something and something comes out and you go, "Oh my god, okay, I've broken into a new area with this joke I have. I can that's going in the set and I can now flesh this out." That's like the closest I can get to being a great musician. Yeah. It's like when when you kind of come up with something spontaneous and you go, "Oh shit, that was really funny." Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I may I couldn't be touring in a punk band now. I just I it's no. just, I watched a couple of old videos from researching the Age Against the Machine show and life. I mean, I don't, I was stage diving every night. I was like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've still got a chip in my tooth from, I jumped into the crowd and my mic broke my tooth. Um, my my ribs are wonky from, yeah.
0: from too much stage diving, <laughs>
1: yeah. from too much throwing
0: myself into the crowd. As a six foot four guy, it's like you're doing yourself damage, but I couldn't resist every night. But well, to wrap things up, speaking of age and, and race, how was it? Doing your age against the machine show, doing a show about being, you know, old, experienced, lived your life a failure, and l- looking like you're in your early twenties. Mm. How how <laughs> how was that? You look it's too young, good, isn't it? You look too young to do the the the, the
1: the 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 haggard I've lived a life type show. It's just infuriating. It's a disconnect, isn't it? My, my advice, if you take anything away, like the Baz Luhrmann sunscreen song, if you take anything away from this podcast, the, answer, the thing to take away is cocoa butter. That's, that is the greatest. It's not trying to be successful as a comic or trying to make it as a musician or a difficult industry. Every day, twice a day, just slather your face in the oiliest body not face moisturizer just when i was nine years old i went to school and my mum went oh and i was all ashy and my my mum went she was like you need to you know black people have to we have to moisturize our skin and that is the greatest gift right. and probably not doing but, manual labor as well that's probably but, a big part of but, it as but, well
0: It's a good tip bill burr's got a good joke about it and i i, oh, yeah. I holy love shit i'm ashy yeah but when he talks about and he, again he's like people talk about Black don't crack, and how black people don't age, and it's a genetic thing. It's like he's like every black person I've ever met moisturizes. Yeah, yeah. Every white guy I've ever met does not moisturize. It's not some magic thing. But it's It's you're going out and sitting in the the sun and letting yourself burn, and then just getting all dried out. It's like just
1: fucking moisturize and look after your skin. I've had people come up to me after shows and be like, "What's you know, like you do look young?" And I and I've like with with like white people who've asked me whenever I say, "Oh, just moisturise twice a day. That's all you have to do." It's like I've told them to try and zip wire off a mountain that this look yeah. comes off their face. They're like, oh, yeah. "I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that." Yeah, that's mm. it's not a heavy. Is there lift. option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is
0: is there another answer? Is there a pill I can take? It's so simple. I love it.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it was that was a problem because I I do I do, and it's I, it's something I'm very lucky to have. I look very I look very young for my age. But then equally, you can play into that on stage as well. So there yeah. are ways to sort of to make that funny as well. But of um, yeah, I mean, yeah, thank you, Palmer's cocoa butter for for the eternal youth.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, thank you very much, man. It's been a pleasure as ever. And we need to actually catch up in the flesh at some point. I know I'm saying yeah, that. Yeah, we as say this every
1: time we see each other.
0: You came out of your show and said, Do you fancy getting a drink? And I was like, No, I'm off. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then, so I know and that s- this is me saying that and then going, Oh, actually.
1: I'll see you at a tube station twice a year. And then <laughs> yeah. we're both, one of us is in a massive hurry. It's normally s- you.
0: I've said to a few people, I think it's what I love about the fringe because. Like, you are someone I'd enjoy actually hanging out with for an extended period, but I'm not really into extended period hangouts. And at the Fringe, everyone's in a rush. So it's my dream because I love seeing everyone, but I don't want to spend a whole evening with everyone. So the amount of people at the Fringe I bump into, and then either I or them get to say, I've got to go, I've got to show. So we have a 15-minute catch-up, and then I don't have to go through the rigmarole of actually socialising.
1: Oh, it's the best, isn't it? As you get older, then, like, I celebrate plans getting cancelled. Like I've scored a mm. goal in a football game. Mate, like, it's I'll, the I'll, best I'll, thing in the world when someone's I've, like, oh, that thing's... I had a thing cancelled last night. I was meant to go to, yeah. a, to, a, to a, a show and the guy yeah. texted me and was like, I'm not very well. And I was like, fuck,
0: the this dream. is so good. I've, I've been telling this story for over f- f- five years and it explains, you know, how big a deal this is. But I was at the train station up the road from me. It's at, at Stamford train station and a guy... I used to DJ with Bill came onto the station I'm I'm heading into London and he said oh, all right like, how are you doing and we had a chat and then he said all right I'm going to go up up the other end of the train now good to see you and it was just <laughs> beautiful I was like yes this is it we don't need to sit together for a full hour on the train into London now we just had that moment and both of us as grown ups who want to put our headphones back on and listen to stuff just went okay bye and he 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 initiated that and I've they said it. I already loved him, but I've loved him all the more
1: since. Because yeah, I, I um I worked behind the till in a toy shop for four years in uh, on Westbourne Grove, mm. and uh a couple of months ago I was standing outside a tube section and a one a, a woman walked out who I, who I used to work behind the till with. She I think she was she did the kids' parties or something like that. Mm. And she went, oh, Josh, how you doing? And I went, yeah, really good. How are you? And she went, yeah, good. She went, how have the last few years been? I went, yeah, really good. What about you? She was like, yeah, good. Got married, had a kid. And I went, oh, that's amazing. And then she went, well, that's as well as we know each other. See you later. It was fantastic. <laughs> I, I love it. When I worked in
0: HMV, one of my mates who's now one of my best mates, we really hit it off when we first met, but he was uh, above me. He called me into the office one day and said, right, um, I think we've kind of, run out of things to say to each other (laughs) for the time being so let's not talk much for like shall we say two weeks and then we'll get back to it and we just didn't say anything to each other for two weeks then came back had loads to catch up on but because we were seeing each other every day it was like this has been amazing i don't want it to burn out i don't want to ruin it (laughs) and let's put a pause on our friendship and it was fucking (laughs) ideal i love that people can be grown up about these things
1: well, Pip, coming on your show has been amazing and I don't want it to burn out. Um, I'll see you in a few years. yeah. yeah that's, as, that's as much as we know each other. That's fine. See,
0: what we need to do, I'm, I'm now extended this, or what we need to do is you, me, and Stu Whiffen go out at some point because you, you boys fell really deeply in love for like a uh, brief period of time.
1: No, it's and, still there. It's still there. Still it's still still there? Love. I love that. Perfect.
0: Man. <laughs> it's so oh my good. God. Yeah. I love him dearly. Well, we'll organize something at some point soon. We, We won't.
1: Yeah, but yeah, we'll try to. That was. I. I again. We need. We do need to tie this up. But I used to love walking past because when I started doing stand up, you were still doing your We Are Lizards night.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I would walk past the big queue on my way home every Friday because I'd do a show and I'd come back. And then I got to come into the venue have a beer with you wearing a fucking lizard mask, right? Yep. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever tried to catch up with someone who has a prosthetic mask on their face, <laughs> who's also playing like a Big Popper <laughs> dance remix. But like, yeah. it's, ve- it's very hard to have an actor. So I would drink like whatever, like beer was behind your thing. And then I'd go, all right, see you next week. And that was, that yeah. was how we caught up for quite a while. It's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah,
0: yeah, I fucking love it. Well, I need to start the club night up again and then we can <laughs> we can get back into our process.
1: Perfect.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure, mate. And um, yeah, I'm excited for all that is ahead. As said, I genuinely, I, I watch y- your stuff and it feels so perfectly y- you. And I love that people are getting to see you. Like, again, not to keep mentioning Brett Goldstein, but there's a comparison there as well. I've known Brett for years and it's been so good... S- seeing the rest of the world finally get to see Brett. And it feels like that with your posts on socials and your stand-up. It's like, yeah, this is how everyone was meant to see Josh. So, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to see, man.
1: Well, I look forward to getting cast as a supporting role in a major Apple TV show, winning an Emmy, (laughs) and then getting in a Marvel movie. So, fingers crossed.
0: I can't wait. I'll talk soon, mate. (laughs) See you, mate.
1: You've been listening to Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces.
0: There we go. That was Josh Weller. I hope you enjoyed that. I recommend following him on all socials, Instagram, just so many good videos. And he's angering people on TikTok daily. As I said, the web store is going to be closed for Black Friday over the whole weekend, I reckon. But I encourage you to donate to shelter. You can do so at speechdevelopmentrecords.com or you can come along to my charity bike ride at twitch.tv forward slash pipio around 5pm on Friday um, and you can donate there and just have general interaction along the way. I'll be back next week with more good good. Uh, Until then, stay safe and stay sane. I'd like to apologise for saying good good then. It felt right in the time. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I felt dirty and not the good kind of dirty. So apologies to everyone um, about that, but I'll see you next week, I guess. Until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.